Well, good morning. So we're going through this series just now, if you're here visiting or don't come all the time, of looking at complicated parables, or as we call them, uh, hidden in plain sight. Uh, you know, the, the, you read the story, you think, what's that about? And often, somebody said to me after the first service, you know, I, I've read that parable dozens of times over the past 50 years and just ignored it every time because it's a bit too complicated. And we, we can have that experience. So uh, what we're trying to do with, with these parables is, is pick some complicated, difficult parables and hopefully find some, some true meaning for us in the 21st century. And so today what we're looking at the, the parable of the, the fig tree. So let me just quickly just uh, paraphrase the story in case you weren't listening to the reading. So we have... a. Uh, somebody who owns a a vineyard, the owner of the vineyard, and he has a a worker, a a gardener, a tender, who looks after the fig trees in the vineyard. And he comes each year to see how how this guy's doing. And he comes, you know, in this story, three years and says, I've been coming for three years and this fig tree that you've been looking after isn't producing any fruit. Let's cut it down. And, And the gardener says, no, 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 give me one more year. It's interesting that. It doesn't say give the fig tree one year more. Give me one more year and I'll tend it and I'll fertilise it. I'll put the effort in. And if in a year's time it's still not bearing any fruit, then cut it down. And straight away we kind of feel uncomfortable with this story because we kind of know that that God's, you know, the the guy that owns the, the, the fig tree. And whatever this fig tree is, he's telling the gardener to cut it down. And lots of people have different understandings about what, the, what these different things represent. For me, it was obvious straight away what I thought it represented, and quite a few theologians agree with me, but other ones don't. So some theologians think that, that the fig tree represents Israel, and some theologians think that the fig tree represents Christians. Uh, but most theologians, and, and Rob Milton, which is more important because I'm preaching this morning, thinks... That you know, the, the gardener, as, as, well, the, the owner is God, the gardener represents Christians, and the fig trees represent people that are not Christians. So that's, that's the analogy that we're going to be going on this morning. God the, God the owner, gardeners are the Christians, fig trees is that everybody else is not part of God's family yet. Now the setting for this parable, for this parable of the fig tree, if you read the previous six verses, is Jesus talking to uh, everybody, anybody who's listening, you know, that if they do not repent, they will perish. So the context of this parable, straight after, uh, he, he talks about the need to repent, he then tells his parable. But in the, in the previous six verses, he says this is not just that, you know, bad people that need to repent. We all need to repent, otherwise we'll perish. And then he goes on to tell this parable. And as Simon hinted at, and I was true to my word in the first service, I'm not going to be preaching for a long time today, you'll be pleased to know. You know, it's going to be short and sweet, well, short-ish, obviously, and sweet. So, as I was thinking about the story about, about God saying to the, 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 uh, the, the, the tender, you know, the owner said to the tender, I'm going to cut down this if it doesn't bear fruit. 
it made me immediately think of other stories uh, in, in the Bible. And I thought of the story in the Old Testament of Sodom and Gomorrah, where, where, where God comes and says to Abram, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram says, well, God, how about if there's 50 people that are righteous? Will you save the city then? And God says, oh, go on then, I'll save it. And Abram goes, what, what about if there's 40 or, or 30? Or what about, God, if it's just 10 people? And God says, yeah, yeah, I'll save it. You know, he wasn't desiring to judge. He wasn't desiring to cut people down, to destroy, to bring judgment. I also thought the story of Jonah, which we'll be covering a bit later on in our other little mini-series of of Old Testament prophets. And the story of Jonah, where, where God says to Jonah, go and preach to Nineveh. Go and tell Nineveh they have to repent or they'll perish. Exactly the same message that Jesus was saying just before the story. And Jonah says, I don't want to do that, God, because if I preach that, they might repent and then you won't judge them. But Jonah knew the heart of God. The heart of God was, was, was not to judge and not to come down heavy. But the message is still there, that all of us need to decide what we're going to do about God and about Jesus, because a time will come. And making these judgment calls is difficult. You know, being the judge is sometimes tough. Just last week, I was in a situation with one of my three children. And I'll try and not say which one of the three it was that I'm referring to. <clears throat> but one of my three children wanted to do something. And as a father, I was saying, well, I would advise you not to do this. And it was a judgment call. He said, well, I really want to do this. And I'm saying, and as I reflected on it, I said, well, I'm going to make it easy for you. You're not doing it. And there wasn't complete happiness in the house at that point in time. I said, no, for your benefit, you're not doing this. And uh, there was discontentment. And thankfully, about two or three days later, the situation had had evolved. And Bethany (laughs) could look back on the situation and think, you know, Dad, you made the right call there. But making that judgment call is, is tough sometimes. It's not straightforward. And that's why we find this parable a bit difficult, that God's suggesting this judgment call of saying, chop it off. Chop off the fig tree. It's not bearing fruit. Chop it off. What does that mean? Well, we'll come back to that at the end. But let's, we're going to just ask five questions about the story as we go through it. And the first question I want to ask you, and you can see that by the blurb that you've all read when you came in on the notice sheet, obviously. If we're looking at mission today, And the first question I want to ask you is, are you on mission? Because when Jesus tells this parable, he just assumes that the disciples, that the followers of Jesus are on mission. That they are tending fig trees. That they're looking out for somebody. So the analogy is obviously, you know, who are you reaching out to? Who is it? that you're trying to bear fruit for for Jesus? Who is it that you're on mission with? Who are you trying to reveal God's kingdom to? Who are you on mission to? And if you're not on mission to anybody, who are you even thinking about being on mission to? Who is it that God has placed on your heart? Remember, it's God's vineyard. All the, all the fig trees belong to God. He owns all the donuts and all the fig trees. 
If you weren't here last week, that won't make sense, but you can look it up on the internet. Yeah? God owns all the vineyard, all the, all the fig trees in his vineyard, and he's given us responsibility to go out and tend to them. So the analogy is, is pretty straightforward. We have a responsibility to tend vineyards, to tend fig trees. Now, it's not necessarily some massive great adventure. We were all off to the Amazonian jungle to, to reach that hidden tribe that have never been reached. You remember in the summer, Steve McGannity talked about just you reaching out to people in your gym. And for him, it was his table tennis club or his gin club. No, not gin. That would be Katie, wouldn't it? No. Whiskey club. Whiskey club. Yeah. Uh, wherever God places you, it's wherever God places thee that you've got responsibility to do mission. And it is a responsibility. So, we move on. I want to ask you another question. And the other question from the story is, are you passionate in your mission? Are you passionate? George Hegel said this. He said, nothing great in this world has been accomplished without passion. Nothing great in this world has been accomplished without passion. And we sang that song in our worship. Stir a passion in my heart, Lord. Let it overflow. We've all been at school. And we all know the difference between a teacher who's not passionate and a teacher who's passionate. And we react so much better to a teacher who is passionate. And when it comes to mission... Being passionate is vitally important. In the parable, we're told that the gardener says, I'll dig round it. I'll fertilise it. I'll do more than just rely on the rain and the sun. I'll go the extra mile. I'll put in the effort. I'll do the hard graft. And so the question is, how passionate are you? Is there something in your life that you are passionate about? Could somebody describe you as a passionate person? Because, you know, when it comes to mission, you know, the world is our oyster. The choices are innumerable. You can do mission. You can reach out in all different ways. But let me encourage you to do mission in something that you're passionate about, in an area that you're passionate about, in a person that you're passionate about, in a method that you're passionate about. Use passion and mission. I, I wear a wristband. A wristband? Is that what it's called? That'll do, won't it? Uh, and it says, live with passion. I wear this to remind me, because sometimes passion doesn't come completely national, uh, naturally. We have to make sure that we're passionate, that we put the effort in. So we have to be honest here. Is that you? Is that me? Are we actually passionate in what we're doing? Or are we doing it through drudgery, through guilt, through feeling of obligation? Because let me tell you, that's not an effective way to do mission. That's not getting stuck in. It's not digging round. It's not fertilising it. 
you know, you can have the option of thinking, well, I'll just let God do it. You know, God's the, God's the, will supply the rain, he'll supply the sun, and I'll just every so often have a look at the plant, you know, and see, see if, if it works. You know, I'm a, a rubbish gardener. In fact, I'm not a gardener. I'm, I'm, I'm rubbish at doing gardening. You know, I don't qualify to be called a gardener. Yeah, Ben's shaking his head in, in, in agreement. As, uh, uh, and, and I was given a, a rose plant once. And, and, and you think looking after a rose plant is reasonably easy. It's not. Well, it's not for me anyway. And, and I slowly killed it. I, I slowly, by neglect, by lack of passion, by lack of enthusiasm, just watched this rose plant crumble and, and die, or nearly die. Until my mother-in-law uh, came along and looked at it and said, do you want me to take it off your hands and like, you know, bring it back to life? What well, can you do that, can you? I mean, what can you do that I can't do? Guess what? She had knowledge and she had passion, and miraculously, she brought this plant back to life. You know, we have to have that understanding. We have to be passionate about what we're doing. But then this next question I want to ask you is, when it comes to your, to your fig tree, the question is, what are you feeding it with? What are you feeding it with? I've re- read this story many, many times. And, and in the story, in the parable... Jesus says, the last verse, he says, uh, the man said, leave it alone for one year and I'll dig round it and I'll fertilise it. So the man says that he will fertilise the plant. He says, give me one more year and I'll dig round it and I'll fertilise it. And it jumped out at me, it's never jumped out at me before. The question is, how are we fertilising our mission. What are we adding to our mission? In fact, the implication is that this guy had been looking after this plant for three years and he hadn't been digging around it and he hadn't been fertilising it. Because he says to the owner, give me one more year and I'll get stuck in. And, you know, I'll make the ground round the plant more suitable for growth. I'll dig round it. And I'll add stuff to the mixture to make it more chance that it will grow. I'll fertilise it. When it comes to us and our mission, how are you fertilising your mission? What are you adding to the mix? And as I thought about this, you know, I instantly thought of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the fruit that comes out from us. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's the kind of stuff that we should be adding to our plant, isn't it? That's the fertiliser. If you're trying to reach out to your colleagues at work, to your neighbour, to your whatever situation it is, we need to add fertiliser. They need to see the fruit of the Spirit. That's the extra ingredient. You know, for some it's still a strange reason. You know, God can do mission without us. You know, there's, there's fruit, there's, sorry, there's water and there's sun. And we know that these are key ingredients for growth. We know that. But God says, I want you to be involved. And we get involved in the mission. We get involved in reaching out to people who don't know Jesus. And we get involved in that 
Because it's what God wants. It's the great commission. It's what Christ said, the last thing that Christ said to his followers. Go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. There is no option. If we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves follower of Christ, that he is Lord, then a part of responsibility of saying he is Lord is that we do what he says. He's in charge. And the last thing he said to his followers was, you're part of my mission, the mission of God. We're involved in it. Now, you know, God can use other fertilizers. It doesn't have to be us. In fact, you know, plants can grow just from the, the sun and the rain. Just through God's power. But his plan is that we as individuals, we as church, are the ingredients, are the methodology, is the root that we reach out and reveal God's kingdom. So once again, my question is, how are you adding fertilizer? How are you digging around? How are you making that plant surroundings more con- con- what's the word? convivial for growth? Is that the word? Conducive. That's a far better word. And that's the word I was thinking of. How are you making that surroundings more conducive for growth? Because it is our responsibility. It's not just down to God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You know, it's God that sends the sun and the rain. It's God's power, but we're involved. You know, I was reading this morning, I, I read uh, Rick Warren's Daily Hope, uh, which is, you know, kind of like a daily kind of like podcast thing. And, and this morning, for today, it says this, if you don't use the talents God gave you, other people get cheated which is quite stark. And he he refers to this verse from 1 Peter 4, verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And just this morning, Sunday morning, you know, Rick Warren's teaching is saying we have a responsibility to use our fertilizer for the benefit of others. So, next point. Next point is that, you know, we're encouraged through this parable to be patient in our mission. Joyce Mayer once said, patience is not the ability to wait, but it's how you act whilst you're waiting. Patience is not the ability to wait, it's how you act while you're waiting. This guy had been tending this plant for three years and saw no results. And the parable teaches us, you know, that when we're doing mission, the results not, may not happen in the timescales we expect. When we're witnessing to, to friends, to families, to whatever it may be, you know, our timescales may not be God's timescales. And this parable encourages us to wait. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So in 2 Peter, what we're told there, that God wants every single person on this planet, God wants all your friends, all your families, or you, to be part of his family. 
And God will be patient. He will be patient. Because he wants everybody to come into relationship with him. And therefore, we are also encouraged to be patient in our mission. We need to remember that in order for our mission to actually uh, be available to us, Christ came, lived and died so that our mission was possible. He came and lived a perfect life and revealed to us what his kingdom was like, what having a relationship with God is like. And his death makes our mission possible. I think we deserve to be patient in what we're doing. But patience is not sat there on your backside doing nothing. Patience is how you act while you are waiting. While you are waiting. And I look back myself at some mission that I've been involved in, some outreach, some different things I've been involved in, and I've realised that I haven't been patient. And I've also realised that I, I gave up with lots of guilt and lots of uh, worry and concern without probably digging round the tree and fertilising it in the way that I could have done. However, I don't know if this is good news or bad news, however, in this parable, we do have authority to move on. To say, listen, I've spent, in this parable, four years at this, a reasonable length of time, and it's not shown fruit, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. And that's the really uncomfortable bit. That's where the parable really gets a bit difficult. Because you feel like, no, we can't do that. We can't move on. What You're saying, Rob, that if I'm trying to witness to somebody, that I give up and walk away. Yeah, I, I am saying that at a point in time. In the, in the, um, the Gospels, Jesus says to, in Matthew chapter 10, when he's talking to his disciples about when they're going to go out on mission, he says this, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Jesus is saying to disciples, if you're not getting results, then there comes a time when you move on. Our time is limited. We have 70, 80, 90, 100 years maybe. We as individuals cannot preach the gospel to the whole world. Collectively as church we can do. We have to make choices. To put it another way, you cannot carry on beating a dead horse. No, it doesn't get good results, does it? And I want to encourage you at some point in time to be calm and just make a decision that this isn't working, I'm going to move on. Not, I'm going to stop doing mission, I'm going to move on. You see, we have a lot of guilt sometimes around that. But definitely, I've heard it from Steve, and definitely here as church leadership, we want to really encourage you to get involved in mission. We want to encourage you to have a go. But we don't want to saddle you with any kind of guilt. No, our new vision is filled and, it, and all the way through it has a link with mission. Mission is vitally important to our vision. And I want to encourage you to, to make this vision document and these six parts of our vision integral to you as a person. 
so that we actually achieve this, this vision. There's, there's six different parts to it. The, the first part, you know, is the overarching understanding of, of Christchurch, you know, being at the heart of Southport with the heart for Southport. And then there's five other parts to the vision. Uh, i tell you what we'll do. Let's all together, as one, go through the five different parts. Just the, just the, the names of the five different parts of the vision. I'm sure I could pick on any of you. you know, any of you could just reel all five off very quickly. Well, if I picked on Simon, he could. Could you? How important is this vision to, to you? You know, is it part of your prayer life? Is it part of your mission to, to, to achieve that? You know, we as a church want you to get involved in mission. To have a goal. If it doesn't work out, and we've been patient, and, and we've tried to fertilise and tried to get the ground right, we've got the authority from God, and more importantly, authority from Steve, to move on. So I want to encourage you to get involved in missional communities of whatever sort they are. A missional community is just you being passionate about something and get other people that are passionate about the same thing and thinking we're going to use this to reach out to others and have a go. Start thinking about it. Midweek music, I've started to think about it. I've started to think about like-minded people. How can we use midweek music as a missional community, as a way of reaching out to those who are interested in classical music, but sharing that passion and telling them about Jesus, about his kingdom, about his love. I want to encourage us all to have a go, to see how we get on. And if after two or three or four years it's a disaster, guess what? We say, tell you what, we'll move on. We'll try something else. We're not giving up. We're just going to try something else. We're going to refocus on something else. Because we've only got one life, and we're allowed to do that. And we have the blessing of God to do that. I know that sounds strange, doesn't it? But let me say what we haven't got the blessing of God to do. We haven't got the blessing of God to not get involved in mission. We haven't got the blessing of God because of fear of failure to not give it a go, to not get stuck in. To not be passionate, to not fertilize, to not make the ground conducive. I remember this time. We haven't got that authority, and you haven't got authority from us either. We want to encourage all of us to take heed of Christ's command, to have a go, to get stuck in, to use your passion. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. We'll get knocked down. But we'll get up again, won't we? And we'll encourage each other. And we'll support each other. And we won't judge each other. And you never ever know the consequences of what you perceive to be a failed venture. You never know the impact that we have in people's lives when we think we haven't done well. We never know what God can do with a little bit of our digging and a little bit of our fertiliser and his sun and rain. So let me encourage you to get stuck in, to dream dreams, to create plans, to fertilise these fig trees that God's given us so that we can do what God's called us to do. Thank you.